following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. I'd like to welcome everyone this morning. My name is Gail Iverson. I'm filling in for Mark, who is on a retreat, and will be back the first week in June. I've been practicing Vipassana and mindfulness meditation since um, 1987, and I've been part of the Common Ground community since uh, 2002, and I'm currently the chair of the Common Ground Board. So this morning I want to talk about the practice of right intention, and the talk is based on this book, The Noble Eightfold Path, The Way to the End of Suffering by Bhikkhu Bodhi. And so just to review the, the Four Noble Truths, this, the core of the um, teachings that the Buddha has handed down to us. So it says that there is suffering, there is a cause of suffering, there is a cessation of suffering, and there is a path that leads to the cessation of suffering. And so this, the right intention is the second factor on the, um, of this noble eightfold path. So when the Buddha, um, the Buddha had led a very protective life and when he um, went out into the world, he saw four messengers. He saw the uh, messenger of um, old age, of sickness and of death. And then he saw the fourth um, messenger who was um, someone who was seeking um, the end of suffering. And so he decided that he, he wanted to devote his life to, um, to seeking this um, deliverance from suffering. So With right intention, the way that it's described in the teaching is that there are um, three types of intention. Um, the first type of intention is um, the intention of renunciation. Um, the second right intention is the intention of goodwill. And the third intention is the intention of harmlessness. So before the Buddha became enlightened as he was um, sitting and um, reflecting on how this deliverance um, could come about, he noticed that there were, um, his thoughts could be divided into two um, categories. Um, the first um, types of thought were thoughts of um, greed or attachment, desire, um, the second type were thoughts of ill will, and the third type of thoughts were thoughts of harmfulness. Then in the second category of thoughts, he noticed that um, there were thoughts of renunciation, there were thoughts of goodwill, and there were thoughts of harmlessness. And when he noticed this, he noticed that um, the first types of thoughts led to um, harm for himself and others. 
they led to um, the obstruction of wisdom and also to the um, they led away from um, the path to Nibbana or the highest happiness but he noticed that the other three types of thought the thoughts that were of renunciation the thoughts of goodwill and the thoughts of harmlessness that those led in the opposite direction they led to the benefit of himself and others they led to the um, growth they were conducive to the growth of wisdom and they were um, led they were aids on um, aids towards the attainment of Nibbana this um, highest happiness so um, wisely he um, realized that he needed to um, abandon the thoughts um, of the first variety the thoughts of um, greed of ill will and of harmfulness and that he needed to strengthen and nurture when the thoughts of renunciation goodwill and harmlessness arose so this morning I want to talk um, primarily about renunciation but the the, the practices that were uh, recommended in terms of um, of developing this intention but also just briefly mention that the practices that are associated with the other two um, types of renunciation so with the um, development of for the practice of developing goodwill um, the practice of metta or loving kindness is um, what is recommended for developing um, that type of, of thought and action um, the um, practice of karuna or compassion is what is suggested for the development of um, harmlessness and then for the um, practice of renunciation primarily it is um, recommended an investigation having an investigative attitude towards um, when thoughts of um, desire or greed arise that we um, practice this of renunciation that we are interested in that so with the the second noble truth this um, that there is a cause of suffering um, and this cause of suffering is um, craving or attachment greed and there are basically three categories of, of that which is um, the um, central the desire for sensual pleasure the desire for becoming or being someone and then the desire for um, extinction or for not being someone so what's recommended in terms of um, developing 
this intention of renunciation is that we um, take a look at our relationship to um, to desire or to attachment and when we do that we see that our that most of our, our attitude towards that is mostly that um, the that this pleasure is going to, uh, to fulfill us, it's going to bring us happiness. It's, and there is this uh, solution that it's going to be lasting happiness. And so but of course we can see if we just start looking that um, this is not the case. So um, what we can do is we can change our perception, change our relationship to, um, to these ideas of desire. And so it's recommended that we don't, we don't repress the desires, we don't load them, we don't push them away because um, that would just be causing us more suffering it just um, pushes them under the surface um, but instead we want to really take a look at, um, at what this process of, of desire is um, so one of the ways that we can investigate is um, looking at um, the, the cycle of desire so when desire arises, <coughs> normally what we do is we, we just um, look at it on the surface. We, um, we're, it's very immediate a desire to fulfill what we want. And we don't look deeper and we don't see that, um, the, that the, the long-term consequences or we don't see the relationship of um, fulfilling that, struggling to fulfill that desire. We don't see the relationship with our um, deeper goals, our higher <coughs> purpose. So um, we can, when we are aware that there is um, desire or attachment that's arising, we can um, take a look at it and we can see that um, that as soon as that arises, there is the pain of want. There's the pain of, of wanting to get something. And then there is the, the struggle to fulfill that, the work of trying to fulfill that. And then there's two results, either um, the desire is not fulfilled, and then we experience disappointment, um, we experience frustration, sometimes we even experience despair. Or if we do, um, if, if the desire is fulfilled, then we want to hold on to it, we want um, it to increase, we want it to last. And because the characteristic of all of these, all of our these conditioned um, thoughts that arise, um, that's not possible because nothing um, is lasting. 
in the conditioned world. The, one of my favorite quotes um, from the Buddha is that um, all conditioned things arise and pass away. And having understood this deeply is the greatest happiness, which is peace. So this is part of the path of renunciation is to start to see this realization that we um, we just have a, a misperception. It's not that um, it's not the you know sometimes it's thought, kind of people look at this as oh you know these desires are bad they're immoral they're evil um, and that's not the the um, point of the Buddhist teachings at all. Um, the point of the Buddhist teachings in um, becoming having an understanding, deepening our understanding of our relationship to um, desire or attachment is that um, we see that clearly that it is the root of suffering. And so as a result, we the, the mind um, over time, you know, we just get glimpses here and there of, um, of this as we start to investigate, we get glimpses here and there of this truth. And even those glimpses, just a glimpse is really helpful because it starts to erode this misperception that we have that um, that getting what we want, um, getting what we like is um, what's going to truly make us happy. So I'd like to um, just briefly from um, uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi says about um, changing our relationship. So I've been talking about um, primarily how we can um, we can examine how the, the detrimental aspects of um, desire, how we can come to um, examine and understand those. It says, um, contemplating the suffering inherent in desire is one way to incline the mind to renunciation. Another way to contemplate directly the benefits flowing from renunciation. Another way is to contemplate directly the benefits flowing from renunciation. To move from desire to renunciation is not as might be imagined to move from happiness to grief from abundance to destitution. It is to pass from gross entangling pleasures to an exalted happiness and peace, from a condition of servitude to one of mastery. Desire ultimately breeds fear and sorrow, but renunciation gives fearlessness and joy. It it promotes the accomplishment of all three stages of the threefold training. It purifies conduct aids concentration, and nourishes the seed of wisdom. The entire course of practice from start to finish can in fact be seen as an evolving process of renunciation culminating in Nibbana as the ultimate stage of relinquishment, the relinquishing of all foundations of existence. So of course when we when the mind starts, we first start directing the mind 
towards this other way of, of looking at, at desire, there's a lot of resistance to that. And the mind has been um, attached to these objects for a long time. It's very deep attachment. And so naturally there's resistance um, when we take a look at that. But um, that's okay. Uh, we, we are just um, interested in, in exploring this, this possibility. And um, so along with this um, part of this um, developing, this understanding of, of renunciation, we are also developing um, practicing patience, which is, um, in the Buddha's teachings, the supreme virtue. So we are, we, can, we practice um, being kind and gentle towards ourselves um, whenever our um, intentions not to act out of um, desire or attachment, whenever those actions arise, we um, practice kindness and gentleness towards ourselves, just understanding that, um, that this is a, um, a, a long process. It's not something that happens um, quickly for um, most people. And then we also um, practice gentleness and forgiveness. Um, this week I had an opportunity to do this. <laughs> Many opportunities, but one that especially uh, stood out for me. I um, had got a, a couple of weeks ago, I got this very thick letter from the IRS. And um, I looked at that and I thought, whoa, what's going on here? And um, so I, I waited. You know, I, I hadn't done anything, but any wrongdoing that I was aware of. And um, so. But I thought, you know, the first thought came to my mind of like identity theft or something like that. <laughs> and so I, um, a couple of days later, I, I waited a couple of days, opened it up. <laughs> and then um, it, it said there, in there that um, I had received this large um, distribution from my retirement account and that they would like $12,000 as a result of that. <laughs> and so, but you know, so still I knew that, well, this could be straightened out because I had not gotten the um, distribution. So I talked to the bank and they um, were able to um, identify, you know, clarify that indeed I hadn't gotten the, the distribution. And so they promised that they would um, send this letter to me and the IRS and that you know, all would be well. So, and it would take 10 business days. So I waited um, for a couple of weeks and the time was kind of approaching when I was supposed to have this resolved with the IRS and um, still nothing. So I called back the bank. And I kind of knew before I called back, I, I sort of 
um, you know, brought my awareness to my attachment to having this resolved, and that I had an intention to, um, you know, to, to be kind during this process, and um, not, you know, not to not to um, spread ill will. But uh, so I called and got the banker on the line, the IRA banker, and um, she she I had a reference number, so she looked up the reference number, and then she she said she would you know could she come back in a minute, and then she she came back and she said um, oh she said um, you need to go to your the branch bank who um, originally did this transaction. And I have to say, at that point, I lost my goodwill. <laughs> and I said, you know, so there's two weeks on the reference number. It don't mean anything. <laughs> and she said, well, all you need to do is to go to your branch. <laughs> so anyway, I said, OK, that's all I need to do is go to my branch. But I was feeling a little irritation at that point. But when I hung up the phone, I, I saw really that you know, so that irritation went, you know, that doesn't help anything. That wasn't going to resolve. certainly didn't help her. It's not going to resolve anything for me. So, you know, so that I practiced forgiveness for a little while for the people who originally made the mistake, for myself and for um, the person who had, um, who I had just spoken with. And then I went to the branch. And it was amazing. You know, I really think that that whole process, when I got to the branch, I was standing in line, and this young man came over to me, and he said, oh, I had my packet of papers. And I just, oh, I saw you're standing there with your packet of papers, and um, you look like you need help. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, sat down with him, and he got it straightened out. In 20 minutes, he made a couple calls, and he had this Great. I mean, it was really a, a lovely interaction, and um, it, I really, in looking at that, I, I really see that you know, I, I could have continued down that path of of ill will and being attached to you know what I needed and um, you know what, and it's not that it didn't need to be taken care of, but. Um, the, the whole attitude of how that um, how that comes about is, is really important in terms of um, of understanding that um, goodwill is is and renunciation are conducive to um, are beneficial to myself and to others and um, are also conducive to the growth of wisdom. So I'd just like to read one other brief quote from Bhikkhu Bodhi. It says, when we methodically contemplate the dangers of desire and the benefits of renunciation, gradually we steer our mind away from the domination of desire. Attachments are shed like the leaves of a tree, naturally and spontaneously. The changes do not come suddenly, 
but when there is persistent practice, there is no doubt that they will come. Through repeated contemplation, one thought knocks away another. The intense intention of renunciation dislodges the intention of desire. So we have just a few minutes before the children come in. So if anyone has a question or a comment. I forgot about this. <laughs> but that would be a good idea. <laughs> I wasn't feeling any ill will towards them because it was under it wasn't their mistake. <laughs> but yeah. I'm sure they could use some. <laughs> any other difficult to express that externally without and not have that um, internal um, reaction. Um, For the most part, I'm not able to do that. But, um, you know, it's not that, you know, definitely you're right. It's not that we have to, you know, have this calm, peaceful 
um, you know, exterior all the time, or, you know, that, that that's skillful, but but just to to really see um, see what our level of attachment is in in any given situation. Um, I'm past some attachment to my retirement, <laughs> you know, um, and I have some identification with it, and that, that's that's not skillful, really. Um, but I'm you know, so. As uh, Bhikkhu Bodhi said, this is a process that takes time, and so that's okay. And um, at least the recognition of it is um, that that's an important, an important part. But yeah, I mean, so I mean, I think it is possible. I know um, one of my teachers, Shinzen Yang, told this story about how. Um, he his he studied with a Zen master, and um, Shenzhen had um, said that he um, did not want. He had made some other plans, and he didn't. He was his translator. He didn't want to translate for him this particular time. And Roshi got really mad, and he you know expressed it you know. And Shenzhen said, at first he was going like, so and so, what right does he have to? And then he said he, he stopped and came, you know, checked in with what was happening. And he said that he he just felt like his there was just this warmth that was running through, this pleasant warmth that was running through his body. And there was just, you know, it was like he was being massaged and nurtured. And um, so, um, so I, I think there is this possibility. Of, um, of expressing that, and yet internally, you know, there, there's something that, that's on the surface, what we see on the surface, but there's something that's going on beneath that that is deeper. And, uh, so, I don't know. I, I hope to be able to practice a while longer to <laughs> see things more deeply in that regard. So, any other comments or questions? This is just uh, following up on Mark's question. And I, I, I think of this Buddhist group, but I can never remember quite what they call themselves. But it's like it's this activist Buddhist community. James Barrows is an active member of it.
So it's just kind of random a little bit, but it seems to me that this community of this Buddhist agitated or agitated actually—they are presenting some kind of a model for stern talk and not in violation of their Buddhist practice. So I don't know. It's just yeah, I, I, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not that um, you know, we're supposed to just um, be good at, at sitting quietly and doing nothing. But, um, but yeah, just, I mean, so if, if we are interested in affecting some change, well, wonderful. I mean, the, you know, this path is about affecting change in ourselves. And hopefully that spreads out into the world. Um, but, yes, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that when they practice that, they are aware of, they have their intention of, um, of it being a benefit. And, um, yeah, just, con- just moment by moment, keeping in contact with that. I'm sure that that's what they're attempting to, to do in that situation. Next, your next talk will be titled The Practice of Right Speech. It sounds like what uh, you two gentlemen are talking about is compassionate communication. That just, I know um, in Tikhan Bond's community, they use the compassionate communication that Marshall Rosenberg came up with because we're human. So we do, even if we have no desires left and we have no attachments, there's still going to be human needs that come up beyond food and shelter, just like for caring, for community, for belonging. And so to be able to express the human need, like, I really need support and I'm frustrated right now. Would you be willing to answer my question? Like, you're, you're just saying, you're expressing the anger fully just with the intention of connecting to the other person honestly. So there's definitely a way to do that, and it can be with, with force, but without violence, just with honesty. Thank you. So I see the children are ready to come in now. So. Hi. Someone's going to lead us in song.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.